you take your Bibles with me, turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We're going to continue our series in the prevailing church. Last week we looked at the church's power, which was the Holy Spirit. We said this as a quote, receiving power relies on our ability to relinquish control. Hopefully... We learned something from that. We said this, the first thing, we are immersed in power. The Bible talks much about being baptized with the Holy Ghost. So we looked at immersed in power. Then we looked at indwelt with power. The best kind of power is the power that is inward, a self, or not even self-power, something that's inside of you, so it's indwelt power. And then what we looked thirdly, involved with power. Power helps us be involved, and it's a thing that we can uh, take with us anywhere, thing that can be involved in every part of our lives. And so I hope you'll remember those things and uh, continue to live through those things this week. I want to preach to you a message entitled Unity in Prayer. Unity in Prayer. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for the opportunity to be here and look at your word this evening. Father, I pray that uh, through the book of Acts you would teach us something tonight. And Father, I pray that as we leave this place tonight, we would have a unity in prayer like no other church has had since this time in Acts. And Father, I pray that as we join together in unity, we would see great things happen. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for all you've done for us, for dying on the cross for our sins. And Father, I pray that as this message is preached, Father, you would use it in a way that only you can. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read to you something that um, is in a book entitled Entree Leadership, and it's written by Dave Ramsey. For those of you who know who Dave Ramsey is, he is a financial guru, and he does a great job. Uh, some, we, quite some time ago now, we took a course um, entitled Financial Peace University. Well, Dave doesn't only do financial things, he works on leadership, and this is a quote, an excerpt from a book that he wrote called Entree Leadership. One of the largest, strongest horses in the world is the Belgian draft horse. Competitions are held to see which horse can pull the most, and one Belgian can pull up to 8,000 pounds. The weird thing is, if you put two Belgian horses together in the harness who are strangers to each other, together they can pull 20,000 to 24,000 pounds. You would think that two horses would pull approximately 16,000 pounds if one can pull 8,000, but no, they can pull not twice as much, but three times as much as one. This example represents the power of what's called synergy. Synergy. However, if the two horses are raised, trained together, they can learn to pull and think as one. The trained and therefore unified pair can pull, get this, 30,000 to 32,000 pounds, almost four times as much as a single horse. You see, there's power in unity. There's power in unity. And I want to preach to you a message entitled, Unity, but it's unity in prayer. I want you to look at Acts chapter 1. We finished last week with verse 11, Jesus ascending into the air and the angels, the two men dressed in white saying, why stand ye gazing? Go do something and God's going to come back 
as ye have seen him go into heaven, verse 12, the Bible says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. If you're going to write something down, I want you to write this down. I want you to put it in front of your mirror in the bathroom. I want you to put it over your headboard in your bedroom. I want you to bind it wherever you can bind it. I want you to put it up wherever you can put it up because this is so important. If you're going to write something down, write this down. Battles are won and lost on your knees. Battles are won and lost on your knees. I want to show you first of all this evening, they were gathered together in one accord. One accord. If you'll look in verse 14, these all continued with one accord. You see, I believe that the unity of a church is so important to its success. I don't think it's any wonder that, that you need unity in order to go through something, especially when there's multiple people involved. If there's only one person involved, it's pretty easy to have unity. It's one person. You are pretty much unified with yourself. So when you start adding things and adding people, unity begins to become just a little bit more difficult. But unity is so important. I want to show you a verse, Mark chapter 3. Most of you would probably be familiar with this passage. Mark chapter 3 and verse 23. Mark chapter 3 and verse 23. The Bible says this. And he called unto him them unto him and said unto them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? So they are, they are accusing Jesus of, of casting out demons in the name of Beelzebub. And in verse 24, and he says, and if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, watch this, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and he be divided, he cannot stand but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he will first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. This is a verse that the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, used in an address to the Illinois Congress when talking about the South and the North and how they were split amongst having, having slaves and not having slaves. They were split. And he said, listen, a house divided against itself cannot stand. If, if this, this country is going to stand, talking of the United States, if this country is going to stand, it cannot be divided. And I would say of the Bible Baptist Church, if this church is going to prevail against the gates of hell, it must not be divided. You see, Satan can bind us. You see, this verse again tells us that you must first bind the strong man and then spoil his house. Satan can bind us if he can get our attention on the petty little things of this life. You know, people get upset over the craziest things. It's absolutely incredible 
what people get upset over. When there is division, there is trouble. And this is why we had vision night. The point of vision night was so that we could all have one focus. All have one thing in which we will look to. All have one thing that we can rally around. And that was seeking Christ and sharing hope. Very simply, very, very easy, but that's our goal. That's the one central thing that we want to do. We do not want people saying, well, I am the children's ministry. And that's all I care about. No, we don't want that. We don't want people saying, well, I'm in the music ministry. That's all I care about. We don't want people saying, I'm in the seniors ministry or whatever ministry you're involved in. We don't want people saying, I'm of that and that's all I care about. No, we want people to join in one focus and in one goal and in one accord. That's what we want. That's what we need. A house divided against itself cannot stand. We need to be unified in one accord, bringing about the same goal. How do we do that? I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. The night I was voted in as pastor of this church, this is the verse that I alluded to because unity is so important. Ephesians 4 and verse 1. The Bible says this, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. How? With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Why? Endure, endeavoring, excuse me, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So I want to break this down just a little bit, if you'll allow me, and I want to show you some ways that we can be unified. The first thing I want to show you is lowliness. Very simply, humility. It's, it's not a difficult thing. He says, with all lowliness. Lowliness is not thinking of yourself higher than you ought to think. It's lowly. It's, it's putting yourself below other people. And we have a responsibility to, to live as if someone else is higher than us. In fact, every person is higher than us. A good relationship, a good husband and wife relationship will put the other spouse over top of the other. If I am to be a good husband and I am to live in unity with my wife, I will put her needs above mine. Most of us would say, yeah, that makes sense. But it's much more difficult to live than it is to... Or most, much more difficult to live than it is to say. I want you to go to Ephesians. You're just a book away. Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 1. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says this. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit... If any bowels and mercies fulfill ye my joy, that ye be, watch this, like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He says, listen, Paul's saying to the church at Philippi, listen, if you're going to fulfill my joy, if you're going to make me happy as a father in Christ, is, is if, I, if you're going to make me excited about your church, if you're going to make me excited, be of one accord, of one mind. Then he says this in verse 3. How are you going to fulfill that? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. 
but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You see, we have a responsibility. Paul is saying, listen, if you're going to be in unity, if you're going to be in one accord, you need to, you have to, you must put people in front of you. I'm going to take this off and turn it off. It's going to be a distraction behind the pulpit. As difficult as that will be. We need to be of one accord. And verse 4 says, look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. And then in verse 5 it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it begins to tell how God, Jesus was God, and he brought himself to be a, a man, and he humbled himself. And Jesus says about himself in Matthew chapter 11 that he is meek and he is lowly. See, we have a responsibility if we're going to have one accord, we must be lowly. If you'll flip back to Ephesians chapter 3, you'll see the second one. Or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, you'll see the second one. With all lowliness and meekness. Meekness. Meekness, very simply, my definition, I did not look this definition up, but my definition is power under control. I have the power to do something, but I'm going to control it. Let me put it to you this way. We all realize that every person in this room can do something that the other person cannot do. Kevin Russell can do things that I cannot do. But that is what gifting is all about. We don't need you to hold that over anybody's head and push people aside and say, I can do that. We need meekness. Meekness is just using that gift in humility. We all have gifts. We all have things that we can do. We need to be unified in meekness. Putting ourselves, yes, we know you can do things better than other people. Use that gift. Use it to the glory of God. And use it without being proud. Number three, we see long-suffering. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering. Long-suffering, if we can put it very simply, is patience. There are very few people in the world anymore that have patience one with another. And we see that in churches. There's no patience, so we need to have unity. It's going to take long-suffering. And then forbearing in love is the fourth thing. Forbearing in love, what does that mean? Forbearing literally means to suffer. Everybody loves that word, don't we? Suffer because of love. Suffer because of love. Listen, do you love the person that's sitting next to you? If it's your spouse, you should. If it's not, you should love them in brotherly love as a, as a church should love one another and you should forbear one another. If we're going to have unity, we must have forbearance with love. All of these things are in place when unity is present. If you do not have these things, you do not have unity. If you have these things, you have unity. The disciples and the women and Jesus' family had all of these things. They were in one accord. The word accord not only implies togetherness, it implies passion. So I want to show you the second point, and the second point is obvious ambition. So they were not only just together, they were together with a passion. They were together for a purpose. They were together with obvious ambition. They weren't just unified. They were unified around a common goal. 
They were unified with a passion or ambition. So let me ask you this question. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? You say, Pastor Yolmans, this was the book of Acts. They just got done talking to Jesus. Obviously, they would be passionate about Jesus. How many years ago did you get saved? How many years ago did you receive Jesus Christ? For most of us, it was less than 100 years ago. So let's get passionate about something. Are you passionate about seeking Christ? Are you passionate about sharing hope? Are you passionate about the Bible Baptist Church? Or is that just one of the things that you do in the week? Maybe, maybe you just happen to read your Bible every once in a while. Or maybe you just happen to pray every once in a while. Maybe if you get the chance, you'll speak about Christ. Or are you passionate about that? What are you passionate about? These people haven't had an obvious ambition Jesus, again, I think it's pretty easy to see, had just spent another 40 days with them after his death and after his resurrection. And he, is given, he had given them their final instructions. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He spent 40 days with them. They watched him ascend to heaven. They knew very easily, we can see in Acts chapter 1, we can see what it was, was their goal. Verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Their job was to spread the good news to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost part of the world. It's obvious, but they had something to rally around. They had a goal, they had one mission, they had one mind. I'm sure they were nervous. You ever think about that? You ever think about the saints, the apostles being nervous? You know they were humans just like us. They had apprehensions. But the fact of the matter is, this is what God had called them to do. This is what God expected of them. This is what God commanded them. This is the charge that God gave them. And this was what they were unifying around. There was a passion for them. They knew they had to do that. They were together and they were passionate about making it happen. I believe the Bible Baptist Church needs people who are passionate about this church. I'm not talking about showing up and sitting here and spending some time here and listening to preaching. I'm talking about people who are passionate about this church and passionate about doing what God has called us to do. You see, it's one thing to be together. It's another thing to do something together. My wife is pretty good about this. She doesn't want to just be together. She wants to do something together. And I'm complete. this is just me, I'm completely fine with just being together. When we were dating... She would say, you get to pick this weekend on what you want to do, and then I'll pick the next weekend. And so we constantly went back and forth. Her weekend, we were always out doing something with her parents, which was a blast. We would go bowling, or we would, uh, we would do all kinds of stuff. We went to medieval times. We did all kinds of fun and cool stuff. My weekends, you know what I did? So let's just sit at home. Let, let's, let me get out of the dorms for a while and just relax. I enjoyed that. But my wife thinks that 
We should be doing something together and unified. See, it's one thing to just be together. And here we are tonight. We are together, but let's do something together. Let's not just be hearers of the word, but let's be doers also. We will see in later chapters the things that become of this church because of their one accord and obvious ambition. We'll see things like they sell all that they have and give their money to the church. You see, you don't do that unless you're passionate. We see people giving their lives to Christ and going where God wants them to go. We see missionary journeys taken. We see persecution happen and people scattering to the uttermost parts of the earth. Interesting. We see people being persecuted not just to be scattered, but because of what they believed in. People died at the stake. People were crucified upside down. People were passionate about a goal. The question still is, but how did they come together with one accord? And how did they gain that passion? How did they get that? How did they get to the point where, okay, all of this is building up. Well, I can tell you they didn't try harder. As we learned this morning, I want to show you number three and finally an open appeal. An open appeal. I want you to go back to verse 14. I want you to see why they were in one accord. The Bible says these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplications. You see, they came together for prayer and supplications. They came together, they were in one accord, and they were all praying. And they were all supplicating, if that's even a word. But this is what they were doing. They were come together to pray. You see, I believe that they needed something bigger than themselves. God had just given them a challenge. God had just given them something. Hey, listen, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. And there are 120 people at this meeting. And they think, how are we going to do this? How are we going to overcome? So what was their prayer? What was their open appeal? I believe this based on these two words. Number one, I believe they realized that God was the only one whom they needed. I believe they realized that. God... You are the only one whom we need. If you look up the word prayer in Strong's Dictionary, it means to pray earnestly or to worship. To pray earnestly or to worship. I believe this. They had no idea where to start. We're going to go into an upper room. And we have a responsibility to preach and reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. Where do we start? I believe they didn't know how to begin. Do we just go out and start preaching? Do we just go out? How do we begin doing this? I believe they didn't know what to do. But I believe this. I believe they knew that God would help them. I honestly believe that. Otherwise, they would not be in prayer, praying earnestly, God, show us what to do, worshiping God, realizing that, God, we can't do it. And that's the second point. They realize their utter hopelessness. God is the only one who can do something, yet we are so utterly helpless that we cannot do anything. I believe they realized that they needed God because they were helpless. 
I want to be, be very open with you and very real with you tonight. I have a lot of plans. I have a lot of goals for this church. And I have a vision of what it could be. But I'll be honest with you, I have no idea where to start. I don't know if we should go out knocking on doors. I don't know if we should do a Facebook campaign. I, I, I really don't know. We've tried some things. We tried putting a DVD in every home in St. Thomas, and I, I, I don't know. It didn't really work. I mean, it was a great idea. I'm just being honest, like I have no idea where to start. I wish that I could give you a five-step plan for reaching this city. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to reach the city. I wish I could give you a step-by-step -step plan. I, I just don't know. That somewhat bothers me. Because as a leader, you're supposed to know everything, right? You're supposed to know where you're going and how you're going to get there. I've done some studying and I've done some looking and seeing what other churches do. And I just don't see how it lines up with the Bible. And so I'm just, honestly, I'm perplexed. But I do know this. We will not prevail without God. We will not prevail without prayer to God. We will not prevail unless God gets in here and does something in our lives. hope you realize that. I want you to look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and look at verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, watch this, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm not preaching tongues tonight, but I'm preaching Holy Ghost. You see, the result was God was getting a hold of people. God was beginning to fill them. God was beginning to equip them. God was beginning to use them in a way that only God could do. And this is why in our vision night, we put seeking Christ first. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't know what sharing hope looks like just yet. I don't, I don't know what that practically looks like, but I know this. If we will seek Christ and we will unify in prayer and beg God to be a part of this church 
and beg God for God's will to be done with this church. You know what? I don't care if this church ever comes up with another great idea. I really don't. I could care less if we think of the next big idea and think, oh, man, this is the next way that we're going to reach the next generation. I don't care. I want this church to have God. Period. Or exclamation point. Because nothing else matters. It doesn't matter if we have a great idea if we don't have God. It's got to be God. It has been said that it takes 21 days for you to become comfortable with something. And I believe this, that it's been said that it takes 66 days for it to become a true habit. I'm going to challenge you with something tonight, and I want to make it very clear what I want to challenge you with. I'm going to ask you tonight to make a commitment to God that for the next 66 days that you will unite in prayer with this church about this church. I believe that a prayer begging for the will of God to happen to our church would be the prayer that I would ask you to pray. God, will your will be done for the Bible Baptist Church? As I sat writing these things down, I just happened to believe that this could change everything. I'm not trying to say that nobody in here ever prays. I'm not trying to say that nobody in here ever prays for the will of God to be done in this church. But folks, when people are unified with prayer, things change. The greatest thing you could ever do for this man standing up here is simply pray for him. I've had many of you say to me, I've been praying for you. That means so much because I cannot do anything in my own strength. And this church will not do anything in its own strength. God's will must be done. 